Hey everybody, welcome to episode 16 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina and Baden-Württemberg, with a special focus on the SCG Tour, which we're kind of just returning to now, and what a way to return to it, because uh, we're your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, and with me is SCG Cincinnati champion, Collins Mullen. Hey, hey, hey. Collins. <laughs> Dude. Oh, yeah. Congratulations, um, man. I had a pretty good weekend, I, I gotta say. I uh, I brought a crazy deck to a tournament and uh, took it down. You know, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Not only, you know, made a deep run, didn't just get on camera a bunch of times, like, you spiked the whole thing with kind of a... I don't want to call it a homebrew, because that sounds like kind of looking down on it, but definitely <laughs> a very unexpected list. You know, it, there are definitely homebrew elements. I, I didn't come up with the the core of the list. Uh, it was something that I saw from somebody else, but uh, I definitely took their kind of like loose list, and like starting on Wednesday last week, I just kind of like took it, started playing with it, fixed it up a little bit, and uh, kind of made it what it is now. And I think that I did a pretty good job with the with the list. It's uh, it's pretty solid. Yeah, it, it can't be that bad uh, <laughs> if you went literally undefeated in the entire tournament. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I definitely had to get. There was definitely some variance involved in that. I, I, you know, I ripped a few good ones, but um, oh, for sure. Yeah, didn't lose the entire tournament. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, it must be nice. I mean, last week I did nine and zero, two friendly seals back to back. So you got a little ways to go before you hit that, you know, 18-0 mark, but you're getting, <laughs> getting close. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I gotta, you know, next time I'll, I'll have to dream crush the last guy in the in the last round instead of uh, <laughs> true. instead of not instead playing of eating out. a sandwich. Right? <laughs> oh, I needed that sandwich though. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, it's um, very helpful. Yeah. But yeah, um, I think that this episode, we, we can definitely talk about that weekend and, and the deck itself. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think we should probably spend most of the time talking about the deck itself, mm-hmm. because I'm sure that that's, that's what the people want to hear. But, you know, the the tournament itself is, is you know, deserves at least a couple of minutes. Like, a bunch of stuff happened. You you went literally undefeated, 17-0-1. You played against Jeremy in the semis. Ooh, yeah, that's kind of the storyline, for sure. For those unaware, I guess, my roommate and I went up to this tournament together. Uh, we drove up from North Carolina. Pretty much crushed the tournament. My roommate also made top eight, and we ended up playing in the semifinals where I defeated him, and yeah, so that's kind of, you know, it, I couldn't have scripted the weekend to happen any better than that, right? Like, maybe, maybe we meet in the finals, but... Um, right. I was a little sad to see you guys on the same side of the bracket when they when they posted that, so... Yeah, yeah, but... But, you know, that's, it's, I can't complain, that's, I think that's every Magic player's dream is to, you know, everybody talks about, hey, I'll meet you in the finals, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, and we, almost. we pretty much made that a reality uh, this past weekend. You can only run so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. The uh, yeah, the funny part is that my roommate kind of decided to. Jeremy decided to come up a little bit on a whim, like on Thursday, because I was I was a little bummed because nobody else from my area was coming from North Carolina. So the plan was for me to just kind of drive up there on my own. Which I've done before, mm-hmm. and I'm you know I'm not afraid of doing that again. But Jeremy was like, "Hey, so I just had my midterms. School's a little slow this week. I think that this you know if there's any week for me to be able to go 
and like take a weekend off of uh, of school, then then this is it. So he was like, all right, let's let's do it. So we drove up together, and you know, the rest is history. A little bit. That definitely felt very good. Yeah. If if nothing else, if he hadn't come up, then you would not have the greatest SCG trophy picture of all time. So, oh yeah, no, that tro- that trophy loss. picture was fantastic. The one that they put up on Twitter. <laughs> yep. It, I, I'm currently using it as the, the header on the podcast Twitter account. And no, on the, yeah, it's the a great photo. Podcast sure. Facebook page. It's just so good. <laughs> yeah, I got to give credit to Jeremy for that one because he was like, dude, we got to take this photo. It's going to be perfect. And I was like, you're yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like a Jeremy idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jer- Jeremy's quite the character. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, that's kind of like the storyline of, of my weekend, I guess. Well, the other storyline of the weekend, which you didn't really get to participate in because you were in front of the camera playing Magic instead of uh, at home doing chores while watching the tournament, <laughs> right? was pretty much every round that you were on camera when they're like picking matchups and stuff, Patrick Sullivan yeah. picks you to lose because, you know, various things. A lot of your matchups were against like mid-rangey creature decks that kind of seem like they should be able to outmuscle you and, and mm-hmm. beat up on meddling mage and kite freebooter and stuff. Yeah. And by the time he got I think it was by the time you got to the semis playing against Jeremy, he was like, you know, I've been picking against Collins all day, so I'm just <laughs> gonna go ahead and do it again and be completely unsurprised when he wins this match. <laughs> so <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Yeah. It's funny because that mirrored a little bit my expectations in a lot of these matchups. Um, yeah. You know, I'm playing this deck, and I'm playing it to kind of, like, beat up on a bunch of unfair decks that are happening in, in Standard right now, but or in Modern right now, and um, but I knew that my matchups against some decks were just going to be unfavored. Like, I'm talking Affinities, probably not great, and, like, Elves, Merfolk, all these very linear creature strategies. Uh, I yeah. felt like I was probably going to fall behind in a little bit. Literally every round, I, like, sat down across from my opponent, and he would go, you know, like... Cavern of Souls, name Elf, play a Land of War Elf, pass the turn. And I'm like, okay, great. And then I would, <laughs> and then he'd like, and then I'd play my own Mana Dork and pass, and then he'd play his Elvish Archdruid, and then I'd be like, oh, okay, Reflector Mage that. And then he'd be like, oh, okay. And then I'd be like, all right, Manus Rider, hit you for four. And then, and then, you know, and then things just like, my deck performed consistently in these poor matchups very, very well. And I was continually impressed and continued to press myself a little bit by, just the resiliency that this deck had to matchups that I thought that I had would have no chance in. Just some of the draws that the deck puts forward are powerful along avenues that you don't really expect. Like, like Mantis Rider for a modern card, like reads as kind of a mopey thing, but in this deck, it often adds five power to the board that turn, and get and the evasion is so relevant that mm-hmm. you know just the things the deck does are are powerful in ways you wouldn't yeah. expect. Yeah, there and there's so many times where like I would I would just like kind of reassess what's happening in the game on like turn three, and just kind of be like blown away by what my deck's doing because I'm you know like I'm <laughs> I'm focusing on like making sure that I'm making all the decisions correctly and and trying to develop a game plan of like how I'm trying to get there and everything, and so I'd be like okay you know turn one vile turn two violent champion play a freebooter take your spell turn three another disruptive spell violin a lord. And then all of a sudden, yeah. my opponent's like on turn three, he's like taking six damage or something, and I have this huge board, and I've disrupted them twice. And right, right, I'm I just kind of have to like reassess it and be like, okay, all right, we might be onto something here. Like you know, we're doing it. And so <laughs> like, 
it's it's just insane that how how well this deck ended up playing out. And uh, you know, if you if you got the draws, then then you know it doesn't really matter what matchup you're playing in. And you, you, your deck has the tools to get there. Yeah, yeah, and that reflector mage is is kind of a huge part of it because without mm-hmm. it, you do just die to an elvish arch druid. But but you have tools that yeah, you have right. So that's it's the thing about this deck is that you know you you look at it on paper and you look at the the numbers of thirty six creatures, twenty lands for aether vials, and you're like okay so you know we're gonna be lacking on disruption a little bit or interaction, but you know if you look at the cards themselves, the deck is just all aggressive elements and disruptive elements and interactive elements. We there's so many humans in this format now that you can sculpt a, a game plan around you know being able to interact with your opponent pretty frequently yeah and and humans has been around for a little while in four and five color versions or whatever but it's really been i mean just bad like like sometimes it wins games but it just doesn't have the tool it it didn't have the tools to really be a player who would get crushed by a lot of stuff so how did i i guess like how did this list come about obviously like the ixalan cards are a huge addition but but sort of how did that like happen Right, so I think that the reason that this deck finally broke into potentially being a, a tiered modern deck instead of just kind of like a, a humans, five-color humans deck is both the new land and the kite sail freebooters. So Unclaimed Territory was printed in Ixalan, and it's essentially just another Cavern of Souls where it's a rainbow land for human creatures. Also can cast Aether Vial. So that kind of unlocked the mana base for this deck because we get to play 12... Rainbow Lands, right? We get to play four Unclaimed Territory, four Cavern of Souls, four Ancient Ziggurats. Because we're playing all of those Rainbow Lands, then when I was constructing the rest of this deck, I was able to just, you know, ignore colors and only look for human, right? So we've kind of, like, gone beyond color in this in this deck and just, like, only looking at, like, human creature spells. And and kind of the, one of the sacrifices that you make there... And I, honestly, after playing with the deck, I'm not totally sure that it's a sacrifice, but uh, it, it sort of pushes you into being an Aether Vial deck rather than a collected company deck, which a lot of the mm-hmm. the previous iterations of humans decks were. But you just can't really cast that off of these lands. Right, so I do want to talk about collected company just in general a little bit, because that's definitely been the number one question that I've gotten. People are like, okay, so the decks, the human decks that we know about have all been collected company decks. What's Why, why are we changing that now? And there are a couple reasons, there are two reasons, and I think one is more obvious than the other one, but less important. And the more obvious answer is that our mana base doesn't really work with Collect Company. We're, we have Ancient Ziggurats, which straight up can't tap for any, you know, for any color to cast Collect yep. Company. And we just don't have enough green sources in the deck to, to be able to justify that. And, you know, we, we have some green sources. We've got six... Seven lands in the deck that tap for green and the hierarchs as well. So you know yep. that's the you know you've got like eleven sources a little bit. Uh, so so there's there's that argument of the lands in our deck are perfect for casting the cells that we've got, but just aren't going to be able to cast collect how many. And I think that's kind of like the the level one reasoning. But the reason that I think is more important that we're not we don't have collect company in this deck is because collect company fundamentally is a card advantage card, right? You get two creatures in play immediately for one card, right? Which is insanely powerful in both a tempo sense and a card advantage sense. And I think that's why the card collect company is so powerful. However, 
this deck cares less about card advantage inherently than it does about getting onto the board quickly. So I would rather mm -hmm. have the velocity that Aether Vial offers than I would the the card advantage that Collect Companies would offer, right? So with Aether yep. Vial, if you play turn white Aether Vial, then on turn two, you can play a one drop and a two drop. And then on turn three, you can play a two drop and a three drop. That lets you get so much onto the board so quickly that it really lets your disruptive elements shine and lets you kind of run over your opponent instead of turn one mana dork, turn two, three drop, turn three, collect company into two guys. You know, you your three drops aren't going to be as disruptive generally on turn two, and you're, you're really kind of like not leaning on, you know, casting the freebooters on turn two and being able to inform your meddling mages. The vial lets you do meddling mage and freebooter on the same turn much more often so that you can have your meddling mages be informed by what's going on. And these are all things that Aether Vial unlocks, but Collect Company just isn't going to be able to do. Collect Company is happening yeah. much later in the game. You know, on turn three, I want to be on the board hitting you, not only now putting things into play. Right. And I mean, your ideal draw is an Aether Vial and two and or maybe three mana, like two mana sources and maybe three later in the game. So you don't right. love it when you draw enough mana to cast Collected Company anyways. Right, right, definitely. Yeah, if, you know, if I'm getting a lot of mana, I would rather, you know, crack our Heisen Canopy or something like that to, like, find more gas. This deck, I feel like, has probably going to have a similar amount of creatures seen than a Collect Company version of this deck, just because this deck gets to run less mana and more meat in the deck. They run a similar land count, but the Collect Company decks are all running eight mana dorks, which is just, you know, former cards that aren't impactful in the game. Right, right. Not having to run the Avacyn's Pilgrims is, yeah. is, is a huge... Like, Noble Hierarch is fine. Noble Hierarch adds damage to your attacks and that sort of thing. But but Avacyn's Pilgrim really doesn't participate. Yeah, I mean, Noble Hierarch has been insane in this deck. You know, being able to unlock, <laughs> like, a turn 2 Reflector Mage in some matchups, or a turn 2 Thalia, Heretic Cathar, or even just, like, hitting him for 4 in turn 2. It's, it's just my yeah. favorite play in the in the deck, I think. You know, it's not it's not inherently the most powerful thing that you can do, but just turn two Mana Strider, hit you for four, on, you know, say, say, you know, say you're playing Tron or something, and you go, all right, I go Noble Hierarch, go, and you go Tron Peace Map, go, and then I go hit you for four. You're going to be pretty far behind to that game. It's, uh, yeah, Mana Strider and Noble are best friends. And it's, it's funny because now we're finally playing a deck where you get to see them both in the same deck because it's a... Jeskai three drop and a green one drop. <laughs> so right, it's and and you've got a black two drop in your hand while you're doing that. Oh so. yeah, and you can cast them all, no problem, right? We we kind of like broke the broke the color pie pretty hard with this deck in that we just like don't care what our color what colors our dudes are. We can pretty much just cast them all. Yeah, that's one. I played the deck through a couple of leagues because I couldn't not put it together and try it out that's actually a super hard decision like the the toughest decision i've had with the deck and it's come up a couple of times specifically against tron on turn two after a noble hierarch do i cast this mantis rider and hit him for four or do i waste a mana and play a disruptive two drop to try to keep them from getting me i think that's part of why the deck is very challenging i think this deck is very difficult to play for a couple of reasons and the I think the biggest is because of meddling mage in particular. Mm -hmm. You have to know a when you need to cast your destructive elements. Like you, you need to be able to assess what your opponent has the capability of doing in the following turn, 
So you need to like identify when you need to play your Thalia or a Freebooter or a Meddling Mage or whatever. And you know, and then when you can take turns off to progress your aggressive game plan. If you're on turn two on the play, then you can probably advance your aggressive game plan and then the following turn, you know, put some destructive pieces. Or if your opponent misses a Tron piece and plays another land, then you can probably, you know, lean on that and play some more aggressive stuff. But as soon as your opponent is like threatening to do something very powerful the next turn, you've gotta respect that and see how you can go about disrupting them. And then the other piece that makes this deck very difficult, I think, is Meddling Mage and just figuring out what to name. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> in the dark, that card is very, very difficult. Because some people might look at it and say, all right, just like name either A, the card that's worse for you in that spot, or B, the card that they're most likely to have that they're going to want to do soon, right? But there are also like so many other things that happen in the game that might be able to tip you off to what your opponent might have. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of like really sweet meddling mage plays that I got to do over the course of the weekend. One was I was playing against Tron, and I knew my opponent played tower map, mine pass, and then he cracked his map for another for the third Tron piece. And I had the turn that he cracked his map, I put a Thalia Heretic Cathar in play so that his third Tron piece was going to come into play tapped, which cuts him off sure. of any of the six or more stuff, right? Yeah. And then, so on his third turn, he plays a second tower tapped and passes the turn. So what does that tell you? So then he will actually have eight mana. Right, so instead of having seven mana the next turn, he's going to have eight mana, which should tell you that he's planning on playing an Ugin next turn. So I yep. just slammed Meddling Mage, I named Ugin, and that was it. Yep. Right. Perfect. <laughs> so, so yeah, and it's, it's like, you know, things like that that your opponent does that can, can tip you off. Another thing that happened was, like, I had a Violon 2. My opponent had just explored and then played a fetch land and passed the turn. So they've got one fetch land up. Uh, mm -hmm. I tick my Vile up to two. I attack with my creature. And he says, before damage, I'll fetch. And in response, I Vile in Meddling Mage and named Bolt. <laughs> right? Because he's clearly trying to do that, right? Um, yep. And these yep. are just like, you know, these are like, you know, things that are happening in the game that can tell you what to do. And I think there was like one other sweet scenario um, that you well, can Well, you did get just... one clipped on Reddit. Not one of the, not quite a sweet scenario uh, by reading the game. It was just when you uh, turned two meddling mage to storm opponent and had turned two lethal. Oh, yeah, in the finals. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> I was really hoping that that would happen at some point on camera because, especially because I knew this guy's deck list and I just had perfect information, I kind of <laughs> felt bad for the guy because as long as I had a meddling mage, he's just completely locked out of the game. Which I knew, you know, I, I knew this going into the to the weekend that nobody, no, none of the storm players were bringing, you know, creature hate in their main deck. So yeah, turn two meddling mage name grape shot and it's just over. <laughs> and he picked up his cards. It yeah, pretty yeah. Great. Honestly, like if people start playing this deck, then the storm main deck has to change. Yeah, yeah. Not, or, so I, I mean, maybe uh, they just keep trying to dodge it because the matchup is terrible, anyways. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's it's definitely gonna be because even you know even in the games where you don't have a meddling mage game one, I played against storm a couple times over the weekend, and they're definitely I definitely played some like actual game ones where I was casting Thalia's and kite self rebooter and taking their stuff and just kind of you know winning winning that way, but. Which is very, very doable. Both, both both of those cards are really good against Storm, and then you back that up with, you know, you, you're very often presenting a turn four or turn five kill, so... 
Right, right, right. And I think that just fundamentally is why I like this deck so much, is that you are able to have those disruptive elements that are pretty powerful and such an aggressive game plan that goes alongside that and happens at the same time. I think that's yeah. what made this deck powerful for this weekend. Yeah, I mean, one one draw that I've had a reasonable number of times is uh, turn one champion, turn two, any disruptive guy, turn three, any disruptive guy, turn four, double lord, and yeah. that's 20 damage, right. and you've disrupted them twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, On turn four, you know, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. One thing that I do also want to talk a little bit about, about this deck in particular, I think just in general in modern, is that... I felt like the one thing that I did really, really well on the weekend was my mulligan decisions. I think that with mm. this deck in particular, it's super important to game one, mulligan into an inherently powerful hand that does something pretty powerful. So if your hand is like Noble Hierarch, dude, dude, four lands, I think that you're going to have to mulligan that most of the time because your okay. your deck just needs to be doing very powerful things in the game to be able to have a shot at winning. You can't just like have a couple of dudes and try to get there with the dudes. You just, you know, you're you're leading yourself up to flood out. And I, I think that I made a lot of like pretty excellent mulligan decisions, especially in the top eight of the tournament. I played against the mono-white Eldrazi player. Or, no, mono-white uh, Death and Taxes player. He had Eldrazi Displacers in there though. I end up Getting crushed game one just because he had an excellent draw that was just like the aggressive grindy part of his deck and i had a pretty good draw as well but he was just able to utilize his eldrazi displacer and stuff to keep me off of everything game two i end up mulliganing like a reasonable seven but just like wasn't aggressive enough and i felt like i wouldn't be able to get there because it didn't have any champions it didn't have any vials and it was it was kind of loose and then i also mulliganed a six that was playable but also was like like a meddling mage and a kite cell freebooter and a vial in three lands. It's just with those cards, like those are not the cards that I wanted to be seeing in the matchup. So I ended up mulliganing that as well. And then my five was just excellent. Uh, I had one land, a vial, a champion, a lord, a reflector mage. And I think that was my five. And then I scribed to the top a second champion. And I was just like, all right, we're doing it. So turn one vial, <laughs> turn two champion, champion, turn three lord and i think i ripped another land for another lord or something ridiculous and it was just over at that point so just like looking for the hands that you know that you're going to need in the particular matchups are really important so like in that creature mirror i knew that i needed a very like big powerful hand with like big champions and lords and stuff like that to be able to get in and the opposite is true in other matchups like that same like aggressive draw isn't going to do anything against Storm, so you need to be mulliganing into your you know kite cell freebooter meddling mage Thalia. Um, yeah, you kind of have like the brawler half of the deck and the disruptive the disruptive half of the I don't deck. Know. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, disruptive the clever half of the deck. Right. So I think that something to definitely keep in mind when playing this deck is that don't be afraid to mulligan a seven that's playable, but is just not what you want. Right. I, I, I pretty much mulliganed all sevens that were like that. And then, like, game three in that same match, I had four lands, one of which was a Horizon Canopy, Noble Hierarch, Vithian Renegades, and, like, a Thalia's Lieutenant or something. And mm -hmm. I was just like, this 
this isn't going to get there enough. I, I need to be putting pressure on my opponent so that he can't eventually take over the game with Displacer and Kitchen Figs and stuff like that. So I shipped it, right. and I got an excellent 6 and was able to win the match because of it. Um, and and I'm fairly confident that my my 7-card hand was just not going to be able to get the job done there in uh, like on yeah. his average 7 that he kept. So. And that's tough because you even, like Vithian Renegades is a sideboard card against him and a pretty decent one because his artifacts are powerful. Right. So that's that's a tough one to ship. His artifacts are powerful, but he didn't actually have that many of them, I don't think, in his deck. Right. Um, it could know, have just been a 3-2 three, for 3. Right. So it you, the the chances were too high that this is just a 3-2 three, for 3 that you know isn't going to do anything. So I, I definitely think that that was a correct mulligan, but probably one that not a lot of the other people would make. Yeah. You know, they they just like you know play their dorks out and then play this long game that you're just kind of not going to get there with. Um, yeah. So definitely, if you're planning on picking up the second playing with it, I think that my advice for you would be to really think through your mulligan decisions and the consequences of keeping the hands that you are. Um, you just need to be able to curving out and like having the elements that you need in particular matchups for sure. And in that game, you mulligan to six, you drew the Vithian Renegades anyways, uh, killed his smuggler's copter and kept him stuck on two lands. Yeah, no, it was it was pretty great. It was pretty great. My six lined up really well against his, for sure. I, I was actually brushing my teeth while watching that game, and when you put the Vithian Renegades into play, I actually like threw my arms up in the air because I was very excited. <laughs> like The game felt very over when that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, turn two smuggler copter, and then I had either turn two or turn three renegades. Uh, it was very good. I was very happy with yeah. that for sure. <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. I actually um, the reason I didn't realize that 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 when you played meddling mage against storm, yeah, uh, for the tune two lethal, I didn't even realize that was the finals. I just saw that clip the next day. Yeah, because uh, I actually didn't watch the finals. I fell asleep before it started. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, which I felt felt bad about. Yeah, I mean, but, you know. Then I, I I woke up to my phone buzzing a bunch of times as people were following me on Twitter <laughs> or following the, the podcast account on Twitter. Excellent. So I knew that yeah. that meant you won and that you successfully plugged the podcast on the post-tournament. <laughs> we interview. did it. Finally. Oh, we did it. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I was like, Nick, all right, when we do this deck tech, I really want to plug my podcast. And he was like, all right, let's, let's try to remember. And it didn't happen. And I was like, all right, Nick, in the finals interview, we, we got to plug the podcast. He was like, okay, we'll do it. Yes, it was great. So I, I smiled and got my phone and went happily back to oh, sleep. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Definitely a good call there. Yeah, I, I think that, I guess that's some, some play advice for people who are looking to pick up the deck. Mulligans, mulligans, mulligans. You, you, you get to mulligan. You don't have to mulligan. So it's yeah. not just the, the no-landers that you, you should be shipping, for sure. Yeah, I, I really like the way you, you describe that. Because the first two and three turns with this deck are just so, so important. Just impossibly important. You're not catching up with Fatal Pushes. You're getting in there with Freebooters ahead of their powerful spells. And it's really important to do that. And Right. And so, you know, I can I can nail that in as much as I can. But I, I think that I've got my point across for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I think you're totally right. Yeah. I guess, like, matchups and stuff. Hard to tell, like, in... We're still kind of in the deck's infancy at this point. Yeah. Because uh, the deck with Freebooters is a completely different deck from, from the version without Freebooters. Still, like, what matchups were you kind of hoping to run into? What matchups are, are tougher? And, and what are you what have you done to sort of 
mitigate those. So definitely, I'm always hoping to play against Storm. Game ones are free most of the time. Game two, there are definitely things that you got to worry about, like Blood Moon or Goblins or things like that. But the matchups may be in 90-10. Very, very ridiculous. Other combo decks, always ecstatic to see. Disruptin plus Aggression is just like the exact recipe that you want against uh, mm -hmm. combo decks. Matchups that are more interesting, though, are like the more mid-rangey stuff. I think that the deck is probably favored against Eldrazi Tron, which is something that I've flipped back and forth between. Uh, Eldrazi Tron definitely has the capabilities of you know, going bigger than you and being very fast as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, Reflector Mage, Mantis Rider, Thalia, Heretic Cathar are all beatings against Eldrazi Tron. So I definitely think you've got a lot of good game there. Big Tron as well is something that I'm pretty happy to face against. They're just a little too slow, and they're setting up and doing powerful things typically on turn four, sometimes on turn three. And if you're on the play, then their first thing that they're doing is on turn three, or four, then they're pretty much dead pretty much every time. As long as you're doing a j good job of mulliganing into an aggressive draw there. Like, against Tron, a couple of Thalias and Kite Self Rebooters isn't going to get there nearly as much as, like, Champion of the Parish and Lords and Manus Rider. Right. Yeah. So that one was, like, you know, I was a little iffy on. Another one that I was a little iffy on as well was Affinity. I think that, in general, it's probably a bad matchup unless you see your sideboard cards post-board. The recipe that you're trying to get for there is not really any disruption and more aggression. Game one, if you can find, like, aggressive draws that have the ability to race. You know, Affinity's killing you on turn four, generally. You can kill people on turn four. You can you can sometimes win that race. Kaisel Freebooter is insane in that matchup because it snags yes. uh, snags a lot of stuff and can also block their flyers pretty effectively. Yeah, yeah, just a 1-2 flyer is very powerful. Yeah, I definitely had a match on camera where my opponent had like a signal pest draw where he had like some man lands and some signal pests and some ornithopters. And I just played a turn 2 Kaisel Freebooter that whiffed on spells in his hand and... <laughs> was just insane against this rock. Like, he almost couldn't attack. I think that he ended up did just making an all-out attack, and I just blocked his signal pest, and then he just had nothing from then on out. And I still had my 1-2 blocker. It was very silly. And with no spell under it, you can throw it in front of anything and not worry about it. Yeah, for sure. And then post-board, you get to take out your Thalias and your... I think it's just your Thal... Yeah, all of your Thalias. The Thalias, Guardian Thurman, and the Heretic Thars for... The Vithian Renegades and the Is Staticasters, which are just insane. And the, and the Fiend Hunters. So you, you bring in all these very interactive elements, and you get the Reflector Mage in the board as well. So I think post-board you're probably favored in general against Affinity, but it's, that might be true for, for all you know matchups against Affinity. They're, they're probably pretty favored game one, but post-board you definitely turn that around on them. And it's pretty silly that you get to have that effect of turning things around on Affinity with a sideboard of 15 humans. <laughs> You know, Not only so. 15 humans, almost all of these humans are 3-mana humans. <laughs> it's a... Yeah, that, that is a, another funny thing about the sideboard is that it's it's two Aetherstorm Canonists, which are two routes, and then 13 3-drop humans. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty silly. Um, 
So, I mean, like, sideboarding philosophy in general, you mostly only swap out just a couple of guys, because that's that's kind of what I've been feeling in most matchups. A, a few slots change, but not very many most of the time. Yes, I think that that's definitely a pretty much something that happens every time. In general, in Magic, I like to sideboard a lot. I typically like playing, and this probably comes from playing a lot of Standard. In mm-hmm. Standard, it's really, really important to have, to, like, be able to change your game plan post-board to match up really well against your opponents. So in standard, I generally sideboard like eight or nine cards every time. But in modern, typically you're bringing in just like more narrow, more powerful things in the particular matchups. And I'm, so I'm only ever sideboarding maybe like four or five cards in a lot of matchups. Uh, against Affinity, I'm bringing in maybe seven cards. But against everything else, I'm bringing in, you know, three, four or five cards for the yeah. most part. And yeah, it normally it's just dudes for dudes, right? Against Jund and Death Shadow, uh, you end up bringing out your Aether Vials for more dudes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in general, in general, you're just you know bringing out the dudes that are bad and bringing in the dudes that are good. So yep, makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. So how are you on this deck after this weekend? Uh, are there any changes that you kind of you know? Is there anything you wish you had done? Obviously. Can't be that much better. <laughs> yeah, no. If I if I could run back the exact same weekend, I, I would definitely do it. There might be some thought to playing some dismembers in the sideboard. I think that's the one card that I thought on the most before the weekend and eventually decided yeah. against it. That's kind of like the one interactive removal spell that you can play that you pretty much all of your lands can cast. So dismember very castable in this deck, similar to Aether Vial. Not really going to be a problem. But uh, there were just never really... Well, I guess that's not true. There were definitely times where I wish I had a removal spell for creatures. Like, there were games that I lost handily to Seal Overseer, and there were games that I lost handily to Eldrazi Displacer. So there definitely are cards that exist in the format that I you probably want a removal spell for. So maybe that's mm-hmm. enough to say that you need to find slots for, like, two dismembers in the sideboard, or maybe three, so that you can have that against the matchups that have creatures that are gonna take over the game pretty handily so and and those matchups are like affinity and anything with eldrazi displacer in it probably most of the collecting (laughs) company decks yeah and against i mean and and i don't know how you felt about your sideboarding you know against like the death and taxes with eldrazi displacer uh did you feel like you wanted to take out more freebooters but just didn't have stuff to bring in that that actually improve the deck or did you know did you want those freebooters that were still in the deck are there more cards that you wanted to take out in in that kind of matchup yeah i mean there there are some times when you can't bring out enough stuff like yeah like against eldrazi i think that your freebooters are typically pretty poor and your thalias are pretty poor so that's like eight cards that you want to bring out and it's a little tough to replace eight twos with a bunch of three drops. Right. You end up putting a bunch of three drops in your deck, and I think that that's just going to happen. But I think that's kind of fine post-board, because typically post-board games are going to be slower than pre-board games. So it's not the end of the world, but still not great. True. You're really pretty leaning pretty hard on Vile or Noble Hierarch to kind of get you there and mm-hmm. bridge that gap. But yeah, I uh, definitely in those matchups, I'm very willing to bring in like an Anafenza just as a big body and a Mirren Crusader as another big body or something. Things that like trade for Thought Not Seer on their own are pretty powerful. Sure. I guess like one question that maybe you don't super want to answer would be like, how do you beat this deck? So what, 
what, uh, what do people no, do? Like, are there a couple of cards you can put in your sideboard that actually help the matchup? Or is it more of a, like, the metagame is going to have to shift to to drive this deck back underground? I think there are a lot of ways that you can fight this matchup pretty effectively. One card that I played against a bunch that I was never happy to see was Kitchen Finks. Sure. That card came in against me out of Elves and Jund, and it was in the Death and Taxes list. And every time somebody played it against me, I think that I lost pretty handily. <laughs> That's, I think I beat the Jund guy when he played it, but that card it was just like surprisingly annoying at chump blocking and then gaining them life and kind of allowing them to get back in the game. And sometimes it like trades for two dudes even. So definitely, you know, if you if your deck has access to that kind of effect, it's probably pretty good to bring in. A bunch of removal spells and sweepers is the other thing that the deck really suffers against. I the worst matchup I think is either Jeskai Control or Blue-White Control. Anything mm-hmm. with Supreme Verdict or Anger of the Gods and Spot Removal that's going to be able to... You know, if I ever, like, cast Freebooter and I see, like... Like, I was playing Magic Online earlier today, and I like I cast a Freebooter, and I looked at his hand, and it was two Wrath of Gods and a Path to Exile. And I was like, right, I, mean, I just can't, I just can't win this game because you know, there's like, no, I can't take any one of those cards and have my dude survive and not be like keep myself from being wrathed, right? It's uh, like any strategy like that. I think that you know, if you're playing, if you're playing Jeskai Control or Jeskai Tempo or whatever with the spellfellers, then I think that you're probably going to have a pretty good matchup against uh, humans. I mean, with that said, do you think that this this deck is going to be something you're going to be able to keep playing if you want to in this format? Do you think it's going to be like, you know, one of the, I guess, like 15 or 20 or whatever number of modern decks that, that you can totally legitimately go to a tournament and be playing now? Yeah, so I think that's a good good question because the answer is probably I'm not, I'm not, probably not going to play this deck in a tournament again, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. This deck was sweet. It was perfect for this tournament. But modern changes so quickly these days and adapts to whatever is the new big thing. Like, we saw Death Shadow be a very dominant deck for a pretty extended period of time, but I think that's generally a little unusual and just not the case anymore for the current modern that we're living in. Modern's very adaptable, people are going to see this deck, Storm players are going to put removal spells in their main deck and have a good post-board plan against us. I think that, for me personally, I really like playing a deck every tournament that is going to be uniquely well-positioned. And because this deck is being talked about for, for so many other people and everybody's trying to play it, I think that it will see more play for sure. And I think that it is powerful enough that it's going to do well, but I probably won't play it again. Just because something that I enjoy most, like one of the things that I enjoy most out of Magic personally, you know, figuring out how to attack a format from an, an interesting angle and take advantage of the metagame in a particular way and kind of like use that to my advantage. Like I think that I get a lot of equity in the decks that I bring to tournaments because they're well positioned and powerful and stuff like that. And and I think I definitely did that for this weekend pretty well. But moving forward, I I don't know how well this deck is going to stand up to the wrath of modern, I guess I can say. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, and that's not to say that I don't think other people should play it. I think that it's definitely at least tier 1.5, maybe even tier 1. I'd like to think it's tier 1, but, you know, who knows. It's definitely a very, very powerful deck that I think people 
should play because a it's a lot of fun and b it's very powerful. And, you know, I'm I I'm always kind of looking for the next new big thing. So I think that I'm I'm gonna continue to do that even though I found it this time. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's totally fair. But you know, after playing it online, some for players that you know may not have a testing team may not be able to come up with the the big thing like i'm i'm pretty into this deck as a reasonable choice right now um the online meta hasn't you know adjusted to it or anything uh mm. I, I don't think there's any reason it should have but when in plenty of games <laughs> lost to a deck that in one game killed my guys with lightning bolt fatal push forked bolt burst lightning and Coligan's command but I think that's an outlier. Right, yeah, no, for sure. Like, like the deck is straight up... I don't think that this qualifies as, like, a, a, a metagame deck, as in a, a deck that is attacking the metagame from a specific angle. I think the deck is pretty intrinsically powerful, and I would never want to downplay that. Like, like the things that it is doing are very strong. Um, and if that means maybe don't play it next week, don't play it the week after that, because... You know, there's a bunch of Death Shadow decks that are packing enough removal to make it not work, then so be it. But at least it's a deck to keep in mind for when the format is getting to a place like this again, where like Storm is doing pretty well every weekend and and you kind of want to chomp on those decks and, and other unfair decks. Yeah, I definitely don't want to say that it's, it's like a, a unique one-time metagame deck. I think that the deck is inherently very, very powerful. And I believe should be a percentage of the metagame moving forward. I think that Freebooter and the mana base kind of made that a reality. It's just that, you know, I, I, I'll i just have to, like, wait and see. It'll yeah. it'll become another, you know, part of my resume of, like... I think it's, it's a unique and powerful deck that, you know, needs to be in a certain position in the metagame. Similarly to, like, Titan Shift, right? It's, you know, nobody's going to argue that that's not, like, a Tier 1 inherently very, very powerful deck. But there are just going to be some metagames where that deck is not going to be well-positioned, right? And I think that that is probably going to remain true for this Humans deck, right? But, you know, people people are playing it. Like, uh, I was very excited to see on the most recent 5-0 lists, uh, somebody had just my 75 already, you know, on, on Tuesday <laughs> after the tournament. It's just, you know, 5-0, here it is. Somebody, somebody else did it. It's like, yeah, that yep. means it wasn't just a fluke. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like the deck has to be at least so good to to win an open to and to go undefeated in it. But yeah, if it continues being good over a reasonable period of time, then that's pretty cool too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, I mean, we'll see where we'll see where modern goes. I think from here. Yeah, and I mean, I I think that there are very few decks in modern that are completely metagame independent like reasonable choices for a tournament like this weekend like eldrazi tron was kind of nowhere to be found and that's like and tron in general there were no tron decks in the top eight and no death shadow decks in the top eight yeah like yeah like yeah this top eight was insanely diverse i was i was pretty happy to see that for sure yeah yeah that was super cool yeah and especially like if if merfolk is making a top eight and and like like jeremy's a good player and i'm sure that he played merfolk well but like if merfolk is making the top eight then the metagame is probably in a pretty decent interesting place right for sure definitely agree with that yeah one thing to note though is that there were 16 aether vials in this top eight i think that i think that the 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 metagame was definitely shifted in a certain direction to make to to make that card good yeah yeah definitely i and i don't know exactly what what it is if it just means that like putting out creatures 
disruptive creatures quickly is is very powerful right now because of unfair decks doing things. But yeah, that is a lot of either miles, a lot of medium beats in this top eight. Oh yeah, yeah, that was definitely something that they were talking about for sure. Oh, uh, I don't know if you got a chance. I, I don't know if you listened to the game podcast to, to Jerry T's podcast. Used to be Jerry T, Andrew Brown, and Michael Majors, but Jerry actually talks about uh, his match with you at Nationals on it. It was pretty sweet to listen to. Oh, nice! I'll have to check that out. What What was he talking about? Just how like he approached the matchup or something? Yeah, so they were talking about the matchup, but then specifically he mentions, you know, that that was the match where you got, I'm, I'm reminding the audience, I'm not reminding you. Oh, I got browned. You can tell him. <laughs> that was the match where, where Collins got blown out uh, yeah, by yeah. Spell Pierce on Fumigate uh, when, when Jerry T only had one mana up. So Jerry was talking about after the match how you said that Spell Pierce wasn't really on your radar because he had the Life Grasser's Beast Jerry in play. So, you know, you would have thought he was playing for a longer game and would have had spells more like negate rather than spell pierce. Yeah. Um, and he said that, yeah, he totally understands why you would say that. And he really appreciates how you would just call him out after the match like that. <laughs> um, so, like, like he, he was super... Like, I think he, he he actually said something like, like, Collins Mullen, I'm into that kid. Nice. So, Excellent. You know, Good job. Well done. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did have that conversation where, you know, I just lost my winning in and I was, I was kind of sad and, but I was at the same time, I was a little dazed by how outmaneuvered I was in that match. Right. So I think my statements were kind of coming from like a, like a confused, you know, I put you on this because (laughs) I saw the bestiary and I figured that that was going to be your plan. And then you played the spell pierce, which is like a card that I could see if you're definitely going for like a aggressive plan that's trying to kill me as quickly as possible, and I just you know I I didn't see it coming in a million years, and he was like, yeah, and you know I I could see how you'd think that, but in reality I am still trying to be aggressive and end the game as quickly as possible, and I think that Spell Pierce is good good because of that, but also Bestiary is just an excellent card for me to be able to find all my cards with, and I was like, yep, Derry, you're just 100% correct and definitely deserve to win that match for sure. Yeah, that match was a little tough yeah. to watch. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're if you're a fan of Collins, <laughs> definitely tough. Um, but you know, can't can't hate Jerry. I mean, this weekend is a pretty decent salve on that wound. So. Oh yeah, for sure. I guess if you just like don't lose ever, then. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty great. Pretty great. Yeah, so I guess gonna write up at least one article on this deck for Star City and then hopefully, you know, see where that leads. Yeah, so, right, that my plan is I'm gonna write a, for anybody looking for a sideboard guide or, you know, more thoughts on the deck just kind of like written down, you can look on Star City Games later this week. I'm gonna be writing an article about uh, a little bit about my weekend, but mostly about just the deck itself and my advice for playing it and sideboarding with it and maybe where I think the deck should go from here. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. Yeah, so so kind of what we talked about, but you'll get some more content in there and, and certainly have more thoughts over the next day or two, I assume. Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. So what's what's coming up for you, I guess... And I don't even have the Star City schedule in front of me. Oh, I got you. Yeah. What are we testing Um, for now? So this weekend, I'm going to Washington, D.C. to play some Legacy. 
Oh, right, right, right. So, okay. yeah, expect a little bit of legacy content next week, maybe. Something that we don't get to do very often, but I'm excited about it. Yeah, I will do my best to participate in that discussion. I, I make no promises about my understanding of the current legacy metagame, but... Yeah, well, um, a little from bit... From what I hear, it's very fun. A little bit same, unfortunately. I, I My local shop in particular, Atopic Empire, is pretty like at least historically has been pretty heavy on eternal players legacy in particular like yeah, some of the players some of some names that people might recognize from way back michael braverman philip braverman kyle miller david corson these are all super top tier legacy players dylan donigan was kind of like a, 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 a you know a little kid in that environment for a long time and grew up into the legacy player that everybody knows that he is so definitely my shop and general area is huge in the legacy and i definitely have in the past played a bunch of legacy and i feel like i'm you know pretty proficient in legacy because of that i think my one of my first relatively big successes was a legacy top 16 in a gp maybe like a year and a half ago but mm -hmm. i uh, as it stands right now i am pretty rusty in Legacy. I've been playing so much Modern and Standard as part of the Star City cir circuit, and I feel like Competitive Magic has just moved a little bit away from Legacy in general, uh, just in the tournament circuits, Yeah, unfortunately. In the past maybe year and a half, I've played pretty close to no Legacy, unfortunately. I'm definitely taking the deep dive again into it, borrowing a Legacy deck on Magic Online, jamming a bunch of games, trying to you know relearn mm -hmm. all the things I've forgotten. But you know, Legacy's re remaining near and dear to my heart, so I'm definitely excited to play it again this weekend in a tournament. Yeah, yeah. Um, any idea what you'll play yet, or just kind of experimenting uh, right now? Pretty locked in on Deathrite Shaman and Blue Cards. <laughs> sure. Seems yeah. reasonable. Um, and that can be one of maybe four or five different archetypes, which is pretty silly, but definitely Deathrite Shaman, definitely Blue Cards. I think probably the best deck in Legacy is Lands. But lands just requires such a depth of knowledge about the lands deck in particular that I don't feel comfortable getting ready for that in a week. And, and you'll also have to play that mirror at least twice if you're going to do well in the tournament. Yeah, and... I'm. If I even if I played a, like a bunch of lands all week this week and then went to a tournament, if I sat down across from Jody Keith or Daryl Ayers or David Long in a lands yep. mirror, I'm probably a five percent to win the match. And that's that's not really where it yep. will be. So yeah, definitely gonna definitely gonna ignore that one for a little bit. Even though I believe that it's uh, probably the best choice for this weekend. Well, I mean, and also lands does have the the combo kill. I mean, not combo kill, but sometimes you just get there real fast. So it's not quite like old school lands mirrors where the better player would just win every single time because you could just get lucky with the dark depths. But that seems like bad strategy. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, there are so many interactive elements that. Lands has to be able to interact with itself in that way. It plays Wastelands, Ghost Quarters, uh, Rashad and Ports, yep. you know, of it. Uh, Gambles to find those things, uh, the Instant Speed Green, Sack of Land, Find a Land thing to find those things. Uh, it's pretty impossible to blitz your opponent out of the Lands Mirror, unfortunately. That's that's probably um, true. Yeah, Deathrite Shaman seems like like a reasonable way to go yeah and i you know i uh my my gp top 16 was with grixis shadow or not grixis shadow silly me grixis uh delver yeah it's so funny like a year ago i kept on saying grixis delver instead of grixis shadow but uh 
it's funny how much things have changed. <laughs> yeah, Grixis Delver uh, is something I'm pretty familiar with. So chances are pretty high that I'm going to be either back on Grixis Delver or another Delver variant or maybe Checkpile or something like that. Checkpile is, uh, <laughs> for those unaware, uh, Checkpile is just another name for a more mid-rangey, controlly version of Grixis Delver. It doesn't play any Delvers. Instead, it just plays like Baleful Strix and some Planeswalkers and stuff like that. I will definitely look forward to watching some Legacy. I mean, the cool thing about Legacy is that you can play it online. Like, you can even play Vintage online these oh, days. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and the cards are so much more affordable. So, you know, it's fun to watch because you can play it if you want to. You just can't, unfortunately, really play it in Paper Magic, which is which is Right, right. You, there are some areas in the country that are, are pretty good for playing Paper Magic, but unfortunately, for the most part, not a great spot for that. Yeah, and no matter where you are, it's it's tough to make the decision to buy into Underground Seas, so... Yeah, for sure, definitely. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to continue to test that. I'll be talking a little bit about my weekend, I'm sure, next week on the podcast. But that probably doesn't have to take up the whole podcast. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll have a few things to talk about at that point, but yeah, we'll, we'll get a legacy update in there. We'll talk about that tournament, and I'm sure that we'll have some interesting interesting things to discuss outside yeah. of that. Ooh, one last thing before we go. I did want to ask you, who did you borrow your humans deck from? Ooh, yeah. Because there's some questionable uh, questionable versioning choices in, in the deck that I well, saw. Well, uh, so first of all, shout out to Wit, uh, my good friend in Durham, for loaning me the deck. Unfortunately, had some uh, mismatched meddling mages, and some of them were, were <laughs> not the right art. Shout out to Chris Pakula, uh, and also apologies to Chris Pakula mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> for, for having some uh, some new meddling mages in there. Definitely shout out to Wit for, for loaning me the deck. I, I think at one point... You had two mismatched meddling mages and one expedition and like two non-expedition lands in play, and uh, it was a minor tragedy. <laughs> I mean, you won the match, but but did you did you win the oh, match? Oh yeah, no, definitely definitely had some some losses there. But uh, honestly, uh, you know, in a more real <laughs> sense, when it comes to getting cards together, I I typically I don't have a big collection myself. I lean really hard on friends of mine letting me loaning me stuff for particular weekends and letting me borrow the things that I need so I do want to give a shout out to Wit for letting me borrow those cards and uh, definitely grateful to all of the friends who have loaned me cards recently Elliot Darrow and my teammates are have definitely been a, a huge help in that so yeah that is a really big deal it's yeah. it's I, I agree that I I would not have been able to play in almost any tournament without borrowing cards from yeah. my friends so that that is really cool. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, uh, maybe maybe I'll get some with some uh, some OG Pakulas uh, as a thanks for for letting me borrow the tech. <laughs> I think that would be very very reasonable yeah, for sure. All right, well, thanks everybody for listening. Those of you who are tuning in for the first time, you are interested. You can follow us on Twitter. The podcast Twitter is at mtg underscore grindcast and you can follow collins as well collins mullen we've also got a facebook page up now where we'll be posting i probably some clips from tournaments uh any articles that that we write or anything that goes up like that so that may be a good place to keep up with us as well as the twitter you know just search for mtg grindcast on facebook i think that's pretty much all the business i have to discuss Excellent. until next time i guess yeah yeah and, and one one last time congratulations i know you've been here <laughs> a lot but 
Super oh, yeah, awesome. No, definitely nothing wrong with hearing it again. Uh, very happy about it, for sure. <laughs> Super hyped. All right, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next time. Peace.